Hi, and welcome to Green Deal, Big Deal, the podcast where we discuss Europe's green future. My name is Eva Ivashuk. And I'm Aaron Best. We're pleased to join you today from the offices of Ecologic Institute in Berlin. In this podcast series, we explore the ins and outs of the European Green Deal, the EU's flagship environmental initiative. So, Aaron, I am quite excited about the topic that we are covering today. We are going to talk about fashion and textiles. And I find it super interesting because clothing is something that everyone everywhere deals with every day. We all wear clothes. We all buy clothes. And of course, fashion is so much more, right? It's a way of expression. It is an item of culture, you could say. Yeah, sure. At the same time, many people who are interested in environmental issues are probably aware that production of clothes can have high environmental footprint. It takes water, it takes energy, and there's, of course, the issue of waste. So to start today's episode, I wanted to share with you some facts and stats about just what is the size of this environmental footprint. These statistics come from an European Environment Agency briefing. It was published in February this year in 2022. We will link to this briefing in the show notes. So if our listeners want to check it out, that's where you can find the link. So Aaron, are you ready to hear some stats? Very much. So when it comes to climate change, from all the items we consume in Europe, the textiles production is responsible for the fifth largest impact on climate change. So it comes after housing, food, transport and recreation. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to water use, this impact is even more pronounced. So actually 50% more water is used per person to produce the textiles that we consume in Europe and for all household use. So all the water we use at home in a year. Oh. Yes. Totally invisible to us as daily consumers. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't think because the water to use at home, you're kind of like you mm -hmm. know, very aware of it. It's very tangible, right. mm -hmm. but you wouldn't associate necessarily the pair of jeans with mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. uh, this tons of water. This water consumption actually takes place mostly outside of Europe. So for example, the Cotton production that takes place mostly in India and China is very water intensive. And all in all, 80% of environmental impact that is generated by consumption of textiles in Europe takes place outside of Europe. Mm -hmm. So it's basically an environmental problem that we manufacture in Europe and export outside. And I have a question for you. How many times you think, if you can guess, On average, a piece of clothing bought in Europe is used. Oh, I have to say a number. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to get this wrong. <laughs> Five? Um, seven to eight. So it's a bit better than you thought. Yeah, I see. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so would you say that five... I like, knew it was going to be something five, low. Five so. reflects your personal <laughs> consumption of clothing, you would say? Yeah. Or <laughs> so. um, yeah, No, I, I knew it was going to be something shocking. So I was shocking. <laughs> okay, okay. I didn't take you for a fast fashion consumer, but apparently there are things I don't know. <laughs> um, and once we are done with those clothes, actually from all textiles that are being disposed of worldwide, only 1% are recycled into new products. 1%? Yes. 
that's a figure from 2017 at least. Mm -hmm. So it might be that it is getting slightly better, but it wasn't the case for you. That's really amazing. Only 1%. Yeah. Obviously, I don't know very much. (laughs) So we should talk to some experts on circular fashion. It's great that you would suggest that because we are joined today in the Green Deal Big Deal podcast by Ariana Nicoletti, Circular Textiles Lead at Circular Berlin, and Mandy Hintzman, who is our colleague at Ecologic Institute, who works, among other topics, on circular fashion. So two excellent experts that might help us answer some questions about this topic. Ariana and Mandy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. and Hi. Ariana, a first question is for you. As we just heard, the fashion industry has a huge environmental footprint. And I wanted to ask you, let's imagine I am about to enter a store of a major clothing brand. As a consumer, what should I know about how the clothes got there? And is there actually any way that I could find that out from the label or in other way? Looking at the impact of the fashion industry, you know, as you said, and you gave us the numbers, we might think that as consumers, we do not have a role to play in it, but actually we have. <laughs> we tend to think that we are the very last ring of the chain when looking at production systems. But in reality, we are just in the middle of this chain since products can even have a longer lifespan after our own use. So our consumption decisions in terms of buying, using and also discarding have a huge systemic impact. And now, of course, in order to consume more consciously, we need transparent information about social and environmental aspects linked to the production of clothes and their materials. So which materials have been used, which chemicals have flowed into these materials, or maybe possibly into rivers during the dyeing and finishing of the processes. So we would need to know also in which countries and under which labor conditions have the clothes been made. And so on and so forth, until we really get to details such as how much water has been used for this particular item or what was the wage paid along uh, the different supply steps or how many of these clothes have been produced and how many remained unsold and what is happening to them. If we really seek for transparency, then there are so many questions we should ask ourselves and the people selling the clothes. And there are not so many brands that can deliver this kind of transparency since they themselves don't know exactly how to answer every single of these questions, but there are definitely. For instance, consumers can check the care labels to see out of which materials are the clothes made. And also in this label, they can find possible certification logos telling them, for example, if the clothes are made out of organic or recycling materials, or if they've been processed with clean chemicals, or even if the company has programs in place to assess, I don't know, working conditions or building safety conditions in factories. I think as consumers, the best way to know if a brand is transparency is that of actively ask more information about the clothes we want to buy when we are in a store. So it's clear that brands with no sustainability in their company culture will also have employees that are ignorant about this aspect so that we can have like a very uh, direct confrontation also with the company culture. I have a question for Mandy. Um, Mandy, as uh, Ariana mentioned, the consumer is not really at the end of this story and is not the end consumer, but is really in the middle of the supply chain. So maybe you could tell us what about the clothes we already have at home? 
So what options do I have if I want to clear out my closet, for example? Where can I take things and what will happen to them? I would like to first give an overview of what generally happens to textile waste in Europe. So when a consumer throws away used or unwanted clothes. So as you said, only about 1% is recycled. And most of textile waste is actually either exported or it ends up in landfills or it is burned. So if you burn it, at least you can recover some energy, but still it's a loss of resources. And uh, of course you have climate gas emissions. The small part that is recycled, most of it is downcycled into, for example, materials for insulation, filling off upholstery, or it's made into cleaning racks. So it's just a tiny, very, very small part that's turned into new clothing. And also reuse is, well, it's difficult to really say how much is reused, but um, the problem we have there is that markets everywhere in Europe and outside are widely saturated with fast fashion items. So there's not so much demand for the cheap clothes and the waste that we have. And very, very little, almost nothing of the discarded textiles is really reused by companies to make something new out of it, to redesign or remake it or use some parts of the textile waste. And there are some changes recently and some innovations, but in general, there's a lot potential to make this whole system more circular. That's the general situation we have. And if you want to clear out your closet, I would say that's a good idea because if you have clothes that you don't want or need anymore, maybe someone else can make use of it. So what you can do first is to consider if certain pieces could be repaired or mended or maybe pimped up so you can keep wearing them instead of replacing them. And intact clothes that are not too worn out or ripped or broken, you can try to sell or give it away either to family, friends, colleagues, or to donate it to charity organizations. And then, of course, we also have those public waste collection bins. And here the situation across EU member states is very different. Some countries have very good infrastructures and others don't at all have those. So the textile waste ends in the residual waste. And I think here it's important to know for consumers that the separate collection of textile waste is the basis to recover it and to do something with it and keep the value. So for good pieces, it's they're just lost if you put it into your household waste. It's always better in the separate bins. So Eva, uh, we've looked at what we can do a bit as individual consumers, but you know all these statistics and what we've heard so far... The scale of the shared problem really requires an effective policy response, don't you think? Um, yes, and that is why I would like to ask about what is going on in the circular fashion policy world. Mandy, the European Commission has just published, as part of the European Green Deal, a sustainable textile strategy. Could you please tell us what does the strategy mean for consumers and what are the changes that we can expect to see in the coming years? Yes, I will try my best. Um, so the strategy was published at the end of March and it has the title European Union Strategy for Sustainable and Circular Textiles. And it had already been announced a couple of years ago. So it was long awaited by the textile and fashion industry. 
First of all, it's a strategy. So that means it does not yet make or set any rules, but it sets an overall vision and goals, and it announces a number of measures that will take place in the coming months and years. And quite interestingly, um, it clearly states that we have a problem with overproduction and overconsumption and that this needs to be changed through policies. The vision is to move away from a linear economy and try to make it more circular. That includes strengthening repair, use textiles for longer, reuse, remodel, repurpose, and as a last step to recycle clothes and other textile products. Yeah, so what does it mean for consumers? Here, I think there are two important aspects. First of all, that consumers will have more choices in the future. For example, there will be more options to repair or upgrade clothing because either the companies will have to enable consumers to do it themselves, so to give some instructions or to have it done through repair services. Second point I see and link to this is that there will be more transparency for consumers, that you get better information and companies who produce in more sustainable ways become more visible. And uh, importantly, the strategy announces to regulate green claims and greenwashing practices, which currently is a very yeah, big problem because there are a lot of green claims and advertisements out there. And a recent study has shown that about 40% of green claims are false or misleading. And the EU textile policy wants to change this. So in future, if you say that a product is eco-friendly or good for the environment, you will have to underpin this claim with proof of the environmental performance. And a big issue is also around recycling. It's quite popular nowadays to claim that something is recyclable. And often it's only recyclable in theory, but it doesn't mean that this product will actually be recycled, that there is a company who really does the recycling in the end or a technology that's available at all. And another thing is a claim that something is made of recycled content. And here it's really difficult for a normal consumer to know if this is something good, if this is better than maybe a product made from virgin materials. Because, for example, I just bought a T-shirt a while ago, and it said that it's made of recycled polyester. And it was part of a green product line. But there was no way for me to find out if it was really made from textile waste. So, for example, from unsold sportswear from the years before, which would be great. Or was it made from PET bottles, which, in fact, is an unsustainable way of recycling because PET bottles could be used again and again for drinking bottles, but they just make one cycle or one loop when they are turned into polyester clothes. And it doesn't do anything to reduce the huge amount of textile waste that we have or to innovate in the recycling technologies. Thank you for providing a bit of nuance so that we can understand that recycled can have many meanings in practice. You also mentioned that the sustainable textile strategy emphasizes the importance of more circular production. And Ariana, you actually advise businesses that work in the circular fashion space. And I wanted to ask, what kind of businesses do you work with exactly? Yeah, yeah. as I cover different roles uh, within my freelance activities, I also have the privilege to work with 
very different stakeholders of the fashion system. So one side from my work with Circular Berlin, we educate and mentor on circular economy, different kind of businesses from the newer startup in Berlin to more established brands or companies. We also work very close to the Berlin city representatives and policymakers. Uh, so with them, we create more practical pilot projects to try to speed up the Berlin transition into a more circular city. So we also work with policymakers, which is quite uh, important as well. And uh, as consultant for the CSR agency Close Loop Fashion, I'm mostly involved in trainings for factories in production countries such as Pakistan and Indonesia. So there um, we train managers and also workers on uh, innovative topics such as textile waste management strategies or even circular design approaches for the productions. Very inspiring to work with manufacturers, I have to say. And last but not least, through my work as auditor for sustainable textile certification, I also get to visit a lot of German fashion companies, which could be simple fashion importers or brands or even fiber producers. And I assess their compliance to particular social and or environmental standards they want to obtain or they need to recertificate um, every year. So I'm... Uh, really in contact with a very diverse ecosystem of fashion stakeholders and um, internationally. And I can say that the system definitely needs the effort of any single of them and of the governments, of course, to be transformed. So one of our goals uh, with the podcast today is to ensure our listeners have a good understanding of the concept of circular fashion. So Ariana, could you explain that concept a little bit and its main principles? And maybe one way to sort of build on that is to describe what the fashion experience would look like in a world where the production and consumption of fashion are sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. So in a, in a very perfect circular fashion system, uh, we would produce, consume and dispose in closed loops. So there would be no waste of natural resources. There would be no generation of waste at all from our production and consumptions. But also we would cut out completely emissions and any kind of environmental pollution. Uh, also, in a perfect circular fashion system, we want to actually regenerate our planet and its biodiversities through production of fashion. Sounds quite utopian, of course, <laughs> to many, and it will be utopian, of course, if we do not connect this system to this vision, to a very radical transformation of uh, our global consumption culture. And of course, also we need sinking production volumes. And that is what is mainly missing from fashion brand strategies. I have to say that most of the brands still plan to economically infinitely grow in the next decades and hope in disrupting recycling technologies or other technologies such as, I don't know, lab-made biomaterials, uh, that these technologies will offer them the solution to keep on infinitely grow economically. And uh, yeah, what these brands didn't get is that actually circular economy has at its core a new set of values and that these are profoundly decoupled from overconsumption and uh, on the other side are pretty much anchored to a new vision of profit and also of growth. We need to redefine these words, these terms, profit and growth. We need them to become a real benefit for people and for the planet. So there are very different levels of understanding of circularity. And unfortunately, at the moment, the concept is mostly used by companies of any size, all this green marketing. We 
already talk about that. And sometimes I cannot even read or hear this word circularity anymore, such as it is misused by the industry. I'm like not fed up with this. And yeah, so I would say that in a perfect circular fashion system, we would buy only very long lasting clothes that we will love and that we will repair over the times. The concept of the circular economy is something that is becoming more widely known. It seems to me that fashion has a particular challenge, though, compared to some other sectors, because the nature of fashion, almost the definition really, is uh, change. You know, fashion is about change. And so do you have ideas about how to reconcile this contradiction between the longevity of products and ever-changing fashion trends? So I personally think that is not in the nature of fashion to change as fast as it has been changing in the past couple of decades. Not at all. I mean, if we look at the 20th century fashion, for example, trends uh, were like the 20s trends in fashion, the 50s, the 60s. So we actually used to have these mega trends in fashion that would change within a decade instead of within a couple of days or of seconds. I mean, if we look at brands such as the ultra fast fashion giant Shine, you know, now, now Shine is this Chinese giant company. They created this uh, ultra fast fashion system. They're producing over 6,000 diverse new products per day. That's uh, insane. <laughs> we really reach crazy levels of consumption. And this for me, as fashion designers and also as fashion consumers, has nothing to do with um, a natural evolvement of fashion. And it's also actually eliminating the concept of personal style, what I believe to be essential for a change in fashion consumption patterns. We need to become more conscious consumers, but also to evolve and create and develop our personality through fashion and not let us tell from the industry what we should wear and when. Ariana, we discussed a little bit what the sustainable textile strategy will actually mean for the consumers. What can it change for us? And I would be curious from your experience working with, as you said, a whole ecosystem of different actors in the sector, what will the strategy mean for fashion brands and for producers? And in your assessment, do you think it actually supports well the businesses in the circular fashion space? Or is there maybe some regulatory support that is still missing. So there's still potential for improvement. Yeah, I think there are any kind of potential improvements there. I also, like Mandy said, the first step is a strategy. So as the name tells, is a, is an overall vision for a new European textile industry, but it is not yet translated into any mandatory laws or into supportive programs. So at the moment, it's not supporting much, but uh, of course, there will be changes soon. And I'm very, very curious to see this happen. The most important change uh, that brands and producers are going to face will definitely be the introduction of the mandatory eco-design guidelines, which are not yet defined, but that are planned to include uh, very important topics such as transparency aspects, but also circularity aspects. So companies will have to trace their productions, their chemical use, their materials, and also disclose this information, like properly disclose them. But also they will have to design with another mindset, like they will have to follow strict sustainability and circularity principles, which is also quite revolutionary. And one of these uh, principles is, for instance, the durability of products. As I said, that's uh, very key. 
that products can be long-lasting to be repairable and be used and reused all over again. The regulation, including these eco-design guidelines, is planned to be launched by the end of 2022, so we won't have to wait too long. And I'm very looking forward to see this regulation to come into force and see how brands will react and uh, how long the, also the implementation phase will be. I'm also quite curious to see if transparency is really going to be made mandatory for all stakeholders. One of the aspects that are planned to be included in the eco-design regulation is that of stopping the destroying of um, unsold or returned textiles. So uh, in the strategy, we read that fashion producers will have to publicly disclose the numbers of items they discard and destroy. <laughs> and I think this kind of information will really disrupt the way conventional consumers uh, look at the fashion system. And alone, the fact that these numbers will be public and they will be huge numbers, the regulation uh, will have a huge impact in changing the status quo of how the industry is working. But also looking at the overall transformation of the industry from what I read in the strategy, European brands and startups are invited to be the change of the industry, to set up new reverse logistics systems, to yeah, start innovative business models. But also they, they are quite left alone in finding and implementing these solutions um, as there is no proper say within the strategies that something will be done to decrease the production volumes of fast fashion and of ultra fast fashion brands. So that's a, a big paradox, I think, and also a shame that the most important issue that of uh, immense quantities that we produce and discard is not taken into account and not faced uh, within this strategy. I fully agree. Um, I see the mandatory design requirement, just as Ariana said, as a key element in the strategy. And I would also like to point out that this is something new for the textile sector, because before, when it comes to eco-design, we only had voluntary instruments such as um, the European Eco-Label, which is a good instrument, but it's only applied by a small fraction of textile products and labels. And it does not really help to make sustainable products the standard. And with, with these mandatory design requirements, everyone will have to comply. And I think that's an important step to really transform the sector. And also importantly, I think it can help um, to phase out some harmful chemicals, which is also a big issue in the textile sector because there just there's an incredible amount of chemicals used, and just there are dyes finishes, there are anti-wrinkle agents, flame retardants. It's just so much, and consumers are often not aware of this whole, yeah, of just the variety and the amount of chemicals used. We, you know, already listed the main points of how the sustainable textile strategy influenced the consumers, the producers. And there's, of course, another very important stakeholder here, which is our planet. And Mandy, I wanted to ask you to maybe summarize for us, what do you think are the best environmental aspects of the sustainable textile strategy? And whether there is something you hoped would be there, but is not really included? Yeah, as I said, the eco-design requirements, are, I think they're a big step for the planet because this does not only affect European producers of textiles, but 
This will also apply to everyone who wants to sell products on the European market. So it strengthens companies that are already producing in a more sustainable way or an alternative way, or who try to be more circular inside or outside the EU, um, because they are in a tough competition with other companies who just claim that they produce in a green way, but uh, yeah, don't really have a, a lower environmental burden. Yeah, I also see a number of shortcomings. Like in general, the ambition level of the strategy is quite good in my view, but um, now it depends what will happen next. Yeah, there's a risk that the measures will be watered down or postponed to the coming years. In the last year, I worked on a research project where I talked to a lot of textile fiber recyclers and textile labels in the European Union. And what I learned from them is that uh, a lot of companies really are ready for change and would like to innovate. But what's missing or what they need is um, if they really want to make something with a textile waste and create new value, they need sufficient volumes of well-sorted textile waste of certain qualities, and they need this on a regular basis. So here, what we really need is, among other things, to harmonize the sorting criteria because we have a huge amount of textile waste but if it's not sorted if yeah you don't uh, you cannot differentiate between the qualities in this waste it's very difficult to do something with it so i'd like to speak a bit about the global impact as uh, eva pointed out the environmental impacts of fashion consumption are something that occur outside of Europe's borders for clothes that are consumed here. How does the European Green Deal address that issue, Mandy? And what will be the impact of the sustainable textile strategy in other countries? Well, I find it difficult to say. I study the internal effects in the European Union, but it's definitely interesting to discuss. So good question. Well, I think that uh, Europe is on the way of taking a role model here and to trigger some change. But uh, as you said before, European Union is also one of the largest global importers of clothing. So if we change the rules here, I think that this will have an impact along the supply chains. And also definitely one effect this is that those new policies should enable Europe to export less of the low quality textile waste. And this would be really one thing that can really reduce pressures on third countries. The strategy contains a subchapter on due diligence along the supply chain. And yeah, it says that it's going to support international initiatives. And yeah, there's going to be a new law that will prohibit the placing of products on the market that are made by forced labor. But overall, I think this global dimension is not so much in the focus of the strategy. It really concentrates on how can we have more circular fashion loops within the European Union and how can we strengthen our own market and our own companies. I also think that there should be a bit more globalized focus in this strategy. It is a start. It is a very comprehensive strategy and is really focused on European companies. I also like like this effort to make it as harmonized as possible since we know that either even in within the European countries, member countries, we have uh, like very different policies sometimes that it makes quite difficult for 
producers of any kind, but of course also for fashion producers, to be compliant to different kinds of policies in different countries. So it's very important to have an harmonized system. And I think this is a good thing that this strategy is bringing within itself. Um, but yes, there are some impacts that we are having on a globalized supply chain that are not faced at all within this uh, strategy. One of them, which really uh, makes me quite nervous is that of the textile waste we exported. Mandy already said this topic is there. The EU wants to create more transparency around how this system is working, who is making money with what, uh, which kind of clothes are we really sending overseas and sell to already poor population, already overflowing with our waste. But there's no talk about uh, how to cooperate with these countries in order to amend to the environmental disasters that we created at the first place with our overconsumption and with our uh, sending and selling of waste there and instead of keeping our very colonialist vision of the world uh, where even our policies are in some somehow colonialist i feel i believe that this will happen and one policy as the strategy like one strategy as the european strategy for sustainable and circular textiles now uh, can make a very big difference in how also the world is looking at us as continent. It's very innovative. It's really like, um, uh, I think, um, yeah, groundbreaking somehow and disrupting as uh, uh, it, or it can become very disruptive. So this conversation has been a lot of food for thought for us and uh, I hope also for our listeners. And to finish on positive and maybe also like a proactive note, I would like to ask each of you, what do you think we can do already today as consumers? And maybe I would ask you, you know, what would be the one piece of advice you would like our listeners to take away from this conversation? Well, I would say uh, buy less and buy more thoughtfully also when shopping online. So ask yourself, are you really going to wear this more than seven or eight times? Uh, does it fit to your style? Is it the right size that you ordered? And be aware that making garments is a lot of work and it involves a lot of raw materials. So it's not something that we should take easily for granted, especially not in this wide variety of choices that we have now available here in Europe. So treat your clothing and other textiles with care. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with Mandy's uh, suggestion. Um, I think a very like practical piece of advice would be just watch or read Marie Kondo and take inspiration from there for your own life. Make like really start only buying things that sparkle joy in your life. And yeah, and definitely ask 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 when you are in a shop and you're just about to buy something and you really love the piece just ask about the materials and where it's made and get feeling for the authenticity and also the knowledge of the people working in this store and uh, um, yeah this would be my advice ariana and mandy thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast and taking us beyond the surface of fashion to some of the interesting aspects behind it. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. So Eva, that's our dive into circular fashion. Uh, 
What do you think? What did you take away from that? So starting with where we are today, what really struck me from this conversation is when Ariana mentioned that the huge fashion brands might not even themselves be fully aware of what is their environmental and social footprint. So their supply chains are so huge and so complex, they don't even have a full oversight uh, of the impact their production has. Yeah, I, I feel like I learned a lot today. And one of the things I learned is how little I know and can know. And and the, so um, one of the feelings actually is a bit of frustration, you know, that even as someone who cares about these things, going into a store, being as informed as I am now with all these statistics and all these um, insights into circular fashion, how much better am I equipped to really be able to make better decisions? Exactly. It does sound like a lot of work to, you know, be able to take informed decisions about your consumption of fashion. And as Mandy mentioned, there's still a lot of greenwashing. So you might find those sustainable or eco labels, but as of today, they're not necessarily worth that much. Yeah. So I, I do think it's a great example of an area where we need to act collectively to make a, a better system, one that is easier and kinder to that moment of consumption, that person making the decision, and that involves that whole range of actors involved in the circular economy aspects, industries that we don't even think of right now as really belonging to fashion. And it looks like in an industry like this, the voluntary approaches are not enough. So I'm glad to hear that there will be more regulation. And for instance, brands will not be able to say that something is eco or sustainable, just like that. They will have to be able to prove that. And there will also be other mandatory requirements when it comes to how clothes are designed. Mm. It's interesting. Fashion is something that's often led by, you know, trends are often led by young people. And I wonder if this circular fashion aspect is an example of one of those trends. You know, it would be interesting to see the generational aspect here in terms of sort of who leads the way on reducing the environmental impact of fashion. That's true. And I really like this idea of thinking about fashion as, you know, what is your personal style? And then that is something that will not go out of fashion after a week or two or not after a year. So you can have that style, you can play with it, but it is compatible with this idea of using clothes for longer and taking better care of them. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, my children raided my closet uh, recently. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I had kept all these clothes, you know, from, uh, from long ago and suddenly they were back in fashion. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever I walk down the street in Berlin, I find it hilarious that all the teenagers are dressed exactly like my sister was dressed in high school over 20 years ago. So yeah. that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, so, you know, hopefully that's also where the secondhand fashion will play a role because nothing new needs to be produced. You know, all the clothes that my sister is not wearing anymore can be passed on to the future generation. Yeah. <laughs> your sister <laughs> your sister is the key in the supply chain. Yes, absolutely. And Mandy did not mention that in her presentation. If after listening to today's episode, you have any questions, or maybe you have questions about other topics that you would like us to cover in future episodes, 
we invite you to get in touch with us. You can do so by writing us a direct message on Instagram. Our handle is at Green Deal Big Deal. You can also get in touch with us uh, via the contact section on our website, greendealbigdeal.eu. We will release a new episode each month. You can find the episodes on all major podcast platforms and apps, including Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and Deezer. Please subscribe to the podcast to find the new episodes in your feed. This podcast is part of the European Environment Initiative, funded by the Federal Ministry for the Environment, Nature Conservation, Nuclear Safety, and Consumer Protection. The ministry supports this initiative on the basis of a decision adopted by the German Bundestag. The podcast is produced by Karl Lehmann, Eva Ivashuk, and Aaron Best. Sound design by Lena Ebley. Graphic and web design by Jennifer Run and Lydia Wilka. Special thanks to Camila Bausch, Michael Lawrence, Dirte Kemper, Lana Imelman, and Ramiro de la Vega. Thank you.